All right, today I'm joined with uh, Dr. Nelp, um, Dr. Micah Nelp. Do you want to introduce yourself and give us a little background to um, your work and what you're passionate about? Uh, sure, yeah, thanks. Um, so I am uh, I'm working here at Princeton University doing a postdoc in biochemistry. And it's mostly centered around one enzyme in particular. So I've just spent four years really studying it <laughs> as much in depth as possible. Um, and the goal eventually is to uh, start a lab of my own. So uh, yeah, I would wanna probably start applying this year. So maybe someday I'll be Professor Nelp, <laughs> but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay, so this one enzyme um well first of all let's go into what an enzyme is an enzyme is just a catalyst or it's a protein oh yeah um that catalyzes reactions in our body that are necessary for us to live and survive um do you have another way to explain yeah no that was perfect uh so yeah any any biochemical reaction in your body really anything your body does uh is going to be accomplished by an enzyme which like you said is typically a protein and so uh yeah they're, they're able to do remarkable things um they they can uh they can use uh cellular energy to accomplish uh really difficult reactions that would be impossible and, and in some cases we can't even do the chemistry ourselves mm -hmm. yet uh, so these enzymes are perfectly tuned for their reactions and in many cases we don't even know what their reactions are yet okay so we just know they're amazing and we have to keep looking at them to try to get some of their secrets and if we didn't have enzymes we probably wouldn't be living precisely yes okay. yeah. so they're very absolutely important. essential <laughs> absolutely essential. okay so what is the specific enzyme that you're working with yeah, uh, I fell into uh, this one, uh, kind of, it was a side project actually when I started, but it took over. Um, but it's really interesting, we, uh, we study heme enzymes, uh, so they're enzymes that use this colorful molecule called heme, and it's actually what makes our blood red. Okay, so, so like hemoglobin. Like hemoglobin is a heme, okay. uh, heme protein, yes. Okay. So it's that same molecule. Um, and this molecule is used, uh, obviously, by many different enzymes and proteins. Um, and the one that I'm looking at uses that heme, uh, the iron in heme, mm -hmm. to uh, take an essential amino acid. Most people know tryptophan as the turkey amino acid that makes you sleepy. Okay. Uh, so it's, that's not actually quite true, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's an essential amino acid and we, we can't make it. So you have to get it all from your diet. And uh, because of that peculiarity, uh, it's become really important in the immune system. So if you can control how much tryptophan you have uh, at the site of an infection, you can shut down your own immune system, um, which sounds counterintuitive. Why would you want to do that? Right, well, yeah. th we have actually very powerful immune cells, okay. and you don't want them to go crazy and okay. cause too much inflammation. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's, it's this interesting thing where the enzyme I'm studying um, actually burns through tryptophan. Okay. It makes it so that our own cells, our own immune cells, can't replicate. And in that way, it's an immunosuppressant. Okay. And so uh, it's, um, it, was, it was discovered because it's absolutely essential for fetuses to survive. If you think about it, they're like little aliens growing. Um, and so the maternal immune system, if it were doing its job, should get rid of right, it. Right, yeah. 
Um, but it turns out this one enzyme is able to tell the mother's immune system to cool it, calm down, let the baby grow. And so uh, obviously it's important for us all to, to have survived until now. Okay, so when it's shutting, when it's telling the immune system to cool it, is it like telling the immune system to cool off of fighting everything or yes. just the baby? Well, ev- everything, everything. Um, so anything in the surrounding vicinity, okay. uh, in the tissue, probably a couple of centimeters away. Uh, and so, yeah, it does have deficits. If you turn this enzyme on when there's bacterial infection, it's going to be an issue. Uh, so how, so there's this balance between if we have an infection, we have something that we need to get out of our body, some foreign contaminant, um, we need our immune system to combat it. Um, but if the immune system is too active, then what kind of effects would that cause? Oh, yeah. Overinflammation is a huge problem. Okay, why? What would, yeah. What's so bad about overinflammation? So, uh, well, inflam- your immune cells can actually have the side effect of killing your own cells. Right. Okay. So a lot of, like, a sore throat mm-hmm. is... Um, is is sort of that it's your immune system hurting your own throat in order to kill the bacteria that it's also killing. Okay. So yeah, you just, you have to strike the, a fine balance so that you don't destroy your own tissues while still fighting off an infection. Okay. And that's where trypto, tryptophan, yeah. tryptophan comes into play where it's like kind of like a buffer system in a way. Yeah. yeah okay. That's so a good it's way of thinking of it. kind of like, um, controlling the immune response. Mm-hmm. So, and you said we only get tryptophan from things that we take in. We can't make it ourselves, right? Right, yeah. Um, so I guess what kind of things have tryptophan in it? Is it just general food, just yeah. everyday things? Or is it, do we ever have, I don't know, like you said that you're just you're trying to be vegan, right? So yes. is there, in, is that diet have a deficiency of tryptophan in it? That is an interesting question. Uh, so just to start out, um, it's an essential amino acid for all of life. Okay. So anything living has to have some tryptophan. Got it. Uh, but you are right. Depending on the diet you eat, uh, there will be different ratios of amino acids. So there are 20 that we all mm-hmm. absolutely need. Well, we can make some of the 20. But yeah, so a carnivorous diet has uh, significantly more sulfur-containing amino acids. And I, I believe there is a slight excess of tryptophan. Okay. So, uh, But I don't think it's too significantly different than a vegetarian diet. All right, so can you have, we're talking about this tryptophan balancing out the immune system and the immune response, so can you have too much tryptophan? That is uh, so tightly regulated by your liver that you, you'd have, I okay. mean, if you took like pills of it maybe, <laughs> but no, uh, just eating, you're fine. Okay, yeah. uh, so what are you focusing on with this specific um, amino acid? Right, so it's the, um, it's the well, it's the enzyme that, one of the enzymes that, that uh, utilizes this amino acid. Okay, what is, okay, what is, oh, it gets rid of the tryptophan. Yeah. Okay, so what so, are you trying to, like, focus on? Right, uh, so as I was thinking, it was um, before, it, it protects the fetus. Okay, um, yeah. There's an unfortunate thing, which is that that same protective capabilities can be hijacked by tumors. Okay. And so uh, most cancers, in fact, uh, have uh, what we call it highly upregulated. So they make quite a bit of this enzyme um, that I study uh, when they shouldn't be. And they use that to evade 
our own immune system, which normally gets rid of tumors quite well, but if, if they can turn off the immune system with this enzyme, they're obviously protected. And so there's a, a huge interest in the pharmaceutical industry to find inhibitors for this enzyme okay. so that you can uh, essentially turn the immune system back on and hopefully get rid of tumors. Um, it's, it's turning out to be a little bit more complex than, than that, but we, we haven't figured out why uh, inhibiting our enzyme hasn't been perfect yet. <laughs> okay. uh, but it's certainly uh, why I started studying it and we're continuing on that route. Okay, so tumors. What is a, what is a tumor at its basic level? Yeah, so a tumor is uh, your own uh, tissue that is growing aberrantly. Okay. So all of our tissue is made of cells that are dividing and Mm -hmm. uh, normally they know to stop dividing mm -hmm. when they should stop dividing yeah. uh, and any cell that doesn't um, typically it will kill itself actually it goes through something called apoptosis and that's just uh, one firewall and if it breaks through that firewall and you know a couple others then it grows uncontrollably and that's sort of just the basic idea of cancer okay so we're trying to figure out how and this particular enzyme that uses tryptophan um, can prevent tumors? Is that what you're saying? Uh, or causes them? It's to allow your immune system to work normally. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this enzyme, what, what is, does it have a name? It does have a okay, name, but it's name? an awful name. It's called indolamine-2,3-dioxygenase. Okay, Okay, okay. So we this call is it IDO1. ID, okay, IDO1. Yes. Okay, so IDO1, um, what is, so tell me one more time what it does. Because I don't think I got the full meaning. Yeah, it time. takes uh, the amino acid tryptophan yeah. and it adds oxygen, molecular oxygen from the air to it. And okay. so uh, it makes another molecule with a terrible name called informal kynurenin. Okay. Um, so, and that's just the first step of. Uh, using tryptophan to make quite a few other products. So mm -hmm. it's important for that regard, too. Okay. And those products play into the immune system by limiting it? Y yeah. Directly getting rid of tryptophan uh, starves your immune cells. And you're right, the, the product that it makes itself um, also has immunosuppressive qualities. So okay. it's, it's really a double whammy. You get immunosuppression on um, both fronts. Okay. And that is causing, that suppression of the immune system is causing issues with fighting tumors off. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and we're trying to figure out how to inhibit this. Inside. Yeah, we want to turn it off. Yeah, we exactly. want to turn it off. Okay. <clears throat> but are, are you ever worried about if we do turn it off, then our immune system will become too hyperactive? That, yes. Yeah, that's definitely a concern. So are you just trying to, for just, so this would just be for certain patients with tumors or right. ailments where they need a more active immune system? Yes. Okay. So what have you found so far? Like, <laughs> how long have you been doing research on this subject? Uh, this, yeah, this enzyme I worked on for four years now. So um, we've found, we've worked with a pharmaceutical company that, um, has a really effective inhibitor uh, and its mechanism was unclear. So most inhibitors are small molecules that replicate the substrate or the thing that enzymes typically work on. Mm -hmm. And so it fits into the pocket that 
tryptophan should fit in yeah and blocks tryptophan yeah okay um so that, that was the idea and this particular enzyme didn't quite fit that mold so we had to figure out um why what what it was doing um and, and what we found out if you remember that heme uh thing that makes your blood red right uh we we found out that that's actually very weakly bound to our enzyme which is somewhat odd for most heme proteins are irreversibly bound or very very tightly bound to their heme okay um but ours we found out uh it is so weakly bound to it that it it falls out uh and most of the enzyme in your cell is empty of heme okay and this inhibitor actually takes its place and okay. it blocks it from binding and so that completely inactivates it okay so that that opened up a a whole new thing of uh how our cells must be using this heme molecule to regulate the immune system. Mm -hmm. So just by making more heme, you turn on IDO1, and then by getting rid of it, you sort of turn it off. Okay. Um, yeah, so how do we... Okay, so what are you currently, like, working on? What's, like, what stage are we at here? What, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. where are we at currently? Uh, we're, we're looking at uh, both turning on this enzyme and turning it off, because as you rightly pointed out, there are cases where you might want your immune system to be uh, turned on. Um, and, well, you said the opposite, sorry, which is true. So if you want your immune system turned on, you want to turn the enzyme off. <laughs> if you want yes. to do the opposite, you want to turn your enzyme on. Right. So, uh, yeah, uh, I was, that was confusing, <laughs> but... Uh, we found certain molecules are able to activate our enzyme. This um, this one specific this enzyme. one specific okay. enzyme, uh, and um, that was a surprise. We weren't looking for that, but it it fell into our laps as we were just doing experiments and discovered it, uh, which is kind of interesting. It's the um, hydrogen sulfide. So if you know the bad egg smell, mm -hmm. um, it's that gas uh, which we're so finely tuned to sense that it's. Uh, there's almost none of it when you smell it. It's, that's we're just very good at it. But that particular molecule can bind to our enzyme, okay, and it uh, turns it on. Um, turns on the enzyme. It does. Okay. Yeah. So there's. Uh, so yeah, that which is sulfide. Not what we're looking for. Depending if you depending have, on what you, we need. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. If you, if you have arthritis and you want to turn off your immune system, uh, hydrogen sulfide would be a good. Okay. Good option. Don't don't go sniffing <laughs> it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how our body's probably turning it on. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so we found how to turn off the enzyme, or turn on the enzyme. Have we found a way to turn it on? Did I get uh, it right? Yeah, I, I confused both of them, sorry. So uh, pharmaceutical companies have found great ways to turn it off. Okay, we got turning it off. We helped them with that. Okay. And since then, we have also found how to turn it on. Okay, so... I don't know, it sounds to me that, okay, so what are we still working on then? Is it just consistency or like, what is what are we still working on right now? Right, so um, it's... Are we just trying to learn more about the particular enzyme and how to manipulate it? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Uh, we want to know what are the factors that control its heme binding, for one thing. Okay. Um, and so we're testing... Uh, and heme is relatively, has a weak... Um, bond to this enzyme so right right, right. okay yes. are there any other enzymes that have that same characteristic of being oh i love that you asked that um like not like tightly bonded to the enzyme yeah um that's brand new actually uh there 
it's it's mostly been considered a, a problem with studying these enzymes when the heme falls out uh, most people think that that's just a mistake mm -hmm. that happens in the laboratory so we're we're trying to push in a new direction to show that it's it's not the enzyme falling apart it's not just a mistake that you did in the laboratory it's actually a real effect um, that all of these enzymes uh, have a particular affinity for this heme depending on how uh, how they should be acting in the cell that has a given concentration of heme. So yeah, uh, probably most heme enzymes we're discovering um, are probably regulated by the quantity of heme that the cell can provide it. So that depends, like you were saying, on how tightly or weakly they bind to this molecule. Okay, and are there a lot, so from what I'm hearing, there are a lot of things, cells, enzymes, proteins that have heme associated with it. Am oh, I yeah. Wrong? Okay, so what are, what characteristics does heme bring to molecules oh, yeah. and cells and proteins? Oh, that's, that's a great question. So uh, our cells make proteins with only 20 ingredients, yeah. uh, the 20 amino acids. Right. None of those have metal incorporated. Okay. So there's no way our DNA can tell a protein to uh, have a, a metal bound. So the only way you can do that is to get uh, the amino acids aligned in a way so that they can bind metal. Um, and metals, for most chemists, are, are where all of the chemistry is done. Um, mm -hmm. So they're, they're very important. Um, like a third of all of our proteins bind metal. Um, and so heme is just one way to control that and so heme particularly has iron in the center okay and uh that can do all sorts of chemistry that uh amino acids alone couldn't okay. so in, in particular it, it binds to oxygen so the oxygen carrier like you were mentioning hemoglobin mm -hmm. absolutely has to have that iron atom um in order to bind to oxygen okay. to go from the lungs and carry it through your blood to the, your tissue and so our enzyme is, is similar. It binds to oxygen, but instead of just carrying it around in blood, it, it does chemistry with the oxygen and okay. uh, burns tryptophan. All right, so back to our enzyme that we are studying. Um, so has there been a different approach to not even letting the enzyme be like um, made in the first place? Yeah, yes, uh, there are certainly... Um, so like the gene expression yeah. part of it. Uh, so, I mean, everybody likes to talk about genetic engineering. That's, uh -huh. so that's likely to happen someday. Uh, there are less uh, invasive methods like siRNA. Um, okay, is yeah. a method to block uh, translation of certain proteins. Mm -hmm. you, can t you can turn it off in a cell whenever you want. Um, and that's, that's kind of a new technology that's just coming coming into the clinic. Okay, so let's, siRNA um, is short strands of RNA that they bind to um, promoters or enhancers or they uh, bind to a yeah. certain part of the um, DNA which doesn't let the polymerase come and translate it, right? Uh, like that, that. That's one option. It can, it can also bind to messenger RNA itself. Okay. So the, yeah, the, the particular so the RNA template. that's coding for the protein can be blocked okay. if you have a complementary strand. And it, it could bind anywhere okay. on the RNA. It just needs to cause trouble. Right, right. Um, 
So, um, are there um, pharmaceutical, um, I don't know, are there products out there right now that do interact with this enzyme that we're talking about? Uh, not, not in that way yet. Okay, uh, I'm but sure there with, are the other, it, yeah. with the other, with the other, like blocking the enzyme um, pocket. I don't. What is it called? Active site. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Okay, so blocking the a active competitive site. inhibitor. Competitive yeah. inhibitor. So that right now is on the market. Um, no, unfortunately, okay. yeah, these take decades. Oh, so, okay. So, yeah. uh, it's uh, they're in what's called phase three trials. So mm -hmm. they've already proven that they're safe for human consumption. Okay. And now they just have to prove that they do what we think they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to do the double blind placebo control okay, trials. Yeah, yeah. And un unfortunately, uh, after I think nearly $4 billion, Merck, BMS, and GlaxoSmithKline, they're actually pulling out of trying to do this um, uh, strategy of using my enzyme to to treat cancer uh, because it's just turning out to be too complex. So there's, um, we know the rough story, uh, but there's something we're missing. Um, so that's one reason, by the way, to keep studying it because these inhibitors aren't actually uh, preventing cancer from growing like we thought they would. So uh, yeah, we're missing a piece of the puzzle still. Okay. Um, yeah, so we, we were talking about tumors. And I didn't make that connection between the overall cancer aspect of it. So like this, Okay, I understand why this is some important stuff. Um, so, okay, so it's it's turning out that this enzyme isn't really acting like we thought it is, um, right? Uh, it's or like the inhibitors yeah, right. aren't really working out. We know it's inhibiting. We can see that tryptophan okay. isn't getting um, destroyed. Okay, uh, but. But the next effect that we predicted that then the immune system would turn on yeah, isn't, isn't exactly turning out to be what what we thought it would. Okay, so there. Okay, is there? There's got to be like another. Okay, so what other things interact with tryptophan um, that could be the cause of inhibiting the immune system other than this one enzyme? Oh, yeah. Well, it might not have to do with tryptophan at all. Oh, okay. There, uh, that's, that's the scary part. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, we certainly know that that's a method that tumors evade uh, the immune system, but it's likely they're using multiple methods. So um, it just goes to show to be a successful tumor cell, you have to, you have to do a lot of things in a sense, right? Of course, yeah. it's in another sense very wrong. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, they probably have two or three mechanisms uh, to avoid immune uh, clearance. Um, and they probably have to have all, all three at least uh, in order to be a successful tumor cell. So we probably have to do uh, IDO1 in inhibition mm -hmm. and um, figure out some of these other steps and inhibit them also. Mm -hmm. To see the effect of the immune system. Uh, yeah, to finally uh, get our immune cells to turn back on. Uh, some people at the University of Pennsylvania, I, I believe they, they have something called CAR-T technology uh, where they're able to <clears throat> tell cells now um, to specifically target tumor cells mm -hmm. and so in combination with our ideal one inhibitors there's a chance that that might be successful and there that's actually in I think phase two trials so they're they're testing that combination to see if it's safe and if um, wh whether it's safe or not they'll keep going to uh, 
uh, I mean, if it is safe, they'll go to phase three and see if it's effective. Okay, so back to the immune system. Um, we talked about if it is hyperactive, then it could start um, killing our own cells that we need. Right. Why is that? I thought the immune system kind of targets specific cells that they know are different and foreign. Um, so are they just, because of that hyperactiveness, are they just becoming less careless? Or like, why is it that because they're more active, they're becoming more inaccurate in their job? Yeah, so uh, it, it's chemical warfare. Uh, when an immune cell is killing another cell, be it bacteria or a tumor cell, they're really spitting out um, uh, oxidizing things like hydrogen peroxide and another highly uh, toxic molecule like peroxynitrite. Um, and those are indiscriminate. So okay. you get this bystander effect. Okay. Um, and okay. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's, that's an issue. Uh, we have that a lot. So most autoimmune disorders are, well, all autoimmune, yeah. <laughs> as their name <Yeah>. suggests. <laughs> it's your immune system attacking your own cells uh, by mistake. Okay. Um, and so that's certainly a case where we want to turn the immune system off. Right. And where turning my enzyme IDO1 on might help. Okay, so in the case that we do have a tumor, um, we want to get the immune system to be more active. Um, how would that affect not just the tumor, but the rest of our body? Well, it could be awful, uh, but the thought is if, if you have a tumor you, or any dangerous cancer, you want to get rid of that first and mm -hmm. probably risk some uh, extra inflammation to get there. Okay. It's certainly a trade-off I'd probably want to make. Yeah, so. okay. Um, so it's not just just the tumor being affected, it's also other things in the body that could potentially be affected by this hyperactive immune system right. as well. Okay. Yeah, and th that's, that's why they have to do all of these uh, billion dollar studies to see if it's safe mm -hmm. first. Uh, that's precisely what they're looking for to see. That's, we predict that that may happen, so you have to look very carefully to see if it's causing these extra effects. Okay, so the, um, the inhibitor for IDEA1, is that what it's mm -hmm. called? Okay. Um, are there more than one inhibitors that we have, or is it just one specific thing that kind of looks like tryptophan? Yeah. Uh, so uh, there are quite a few candidates, and uh, each drug company patents um, variants, um, and sometimes they, they do it to hide the one that they think is best. They'll patent 500 mm, of them yeah, at once, okay, and then yeah. they won't tell you which of those 500 is the one they're actually studying. Yeah or think is actually the one that's that's best. Um, but yeah, uh, the ones in, uh, in clinical trials, they look very different from each other. It's surprising. Um, it, it's hard to guess beforehand what molecule <laughs> will be active um, as an inhibitor. Well, uh, shouldn't it be like almost the same as tryptophan? You'd think. Right, yeah. You'd, you'd think, but it, it doesn't actually turn out to be that Why way. is that? Isn't the enzyme like specifically made just for tryptophan to bind to it? Yeah, uh, we we certainly know that. Um, it's uh, the the chemical repertoire that you get uh, in just very simple molecules can be immensely complex, though, and you can uh, take advantage of things that uh, the enzyme wasn't tuned for. Uh, 
Okay. And so it, it's hard. You, certainly people, when they started trying to inhibit the enzyme, they immediately went for things that looked like tryptophan. Right. Uh, that was the first thing to yeah. do. And then as they tested libraries of compounds, just sort of blindly asking, does this inhibit the enzyme or not, uh, they found uh, these molecules that, uh, unlike looking like tryptophan, it looked like the heme. Uh, oh, okay. And so, um, or they didn't know it looked like the heme, but it turns out that it does replace the heme. Well, that would probably affect not just the enzyme, but other things in our body that exactly. we probably need. Yeah, heme is essential. So if you start uh, replicating that molecule, you're going to mess that up, say, hemoglobin, heme. myoglobin, yeah, yeah. or something. Like, so, uh, yeah, the, the drug companies do not like it when I call it a heme mimic because that tells the FDA yeah. that there are red flags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's 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 pretty specific for an enzyme. We don't know why exactly, uh, but uh, that is some definitely something to look for if it's blocking other enzymes that require heme. Okay, competitive inhibitor. What about do we have any non-competitive inhibitors? Uh, oh, now you're getting into enzymology terminology. That's <laughs> uh, we love to make things complicated. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's. So yeah, non-competitive have, inhibitors is something that instead of binding to the active site, it just binds to some part of the enzyme to disform the active site, right? Y yes. Oh, there, and there's also uncompetitive, but we don't have to get into that. Uh, <laughs> well, so I would like. I would love to. What is what is uncompetitive? I'd rather, <laughs> I, I'm. I really should know more about that, but. Uh, What's the basics? You know, it's like dumbed down version. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's they're defined on how they affect activity, if whether they prevent binding or whether they prevent catalysis. And catalysis so is that's the actual chemistry that you do. Oh, okay, okay. So okay, if you okay, bind okay, yeah, tryptophan, yeah. that's it, great, but you still have to do right, something. Right, right. Okay, it. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I shouldn't go on record saying which is which because I think I'm confusing them now. But <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. If you have a molecule that binds somewhere else on the enzyme far away from where tryptophan binds. Uh, that would be great because um, it would probably be very specific for your enzyme. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's like the holy grail of pharmaceuticals. Okay. Um, rarely do, do those work, but if you find one, great. Okay. Um, none of them are that Are way there for any one. naturally um, inhibitor factors for idea one that we naturally have in our bodies? That's a great question and i'm trying to look for them uh there are okay. certainly molecules that look like tryptophan because they come from tryptophan in our okay. bodies and those have been shown to be slightly competitive uh, -huh. uh but the thing is even if it is competitive it has to be in high enough concentration yeah. to compete okay and they typically are very low concentration so it's not physiologically active uh there are studies that flavonoids um and flavonoids They're, are uh, aromatic compounds in foods. So and aromatic is aromatic actually comes from the eighteen hundreds. They they smell good. Okay. Um. So they're for the chemists. Uh. They. Yeah. They're they're flat molecules that are highly conjugated. So they're they're typically colorful, and uh, we get them mostly from. Uh, like vegetables actually have tons of these things. We don't know what they're doing. So there's actually a journal called Antioxidants, and really all they do is purify flavon flavins or other compounds from foods and ask what they do to certain enzymes. And, and yeah, uh, they seem to have quite a few that target this enzyme. Okay, um, yeah, so there's got to be something that our body produces so that our immune system isn't totally inhibited. Um, 
yes. Uh, and yeah, you we don't want to burn through what, all your tryptophan. Yeah, so you we just don't careful. know what that is yet. What are um, some natural inhibitors of idea one? We certainly think uh, you don't. You may not necessarily need an inhibitor, but you, if you don't provide the heme mm. to your enzyme, that's one way to turn it off. Okay, and where is is this enzyme all over our body, or is it um, in one specific area? Yeah, uh, it's it's not very well expressed anywhere, um, but it's it's highly expressed. Uh, well in placenta so to protect the fetus okay and then yeah, the other sense. really cool place where it's uh found is in the gut okay and so the thought there is it might be there to protect the bacteria that we okay. need yeah. to live so yeah all of these places where you don't want your immune system to be too strong mm. um you'll typically find this enzyme being expressed okay so have we do we know okay do we 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 don't do we know this the like mRNA sequence that codes for this for for the idea one? Oh yeah, yeah. Is we, there is there there's can, then there's got to be a way to I don't know make like a complementary sequence to inhibit that from translating right? Uh th- yeah, that's certainly a method. Uh, delivering that uh, RNA or or similar blocking molecules the difficulty. Um, how to get it into the cell that you want and not get chewed up on the way is, mm, is okay, incredibly okay. difficult. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, yeah, that, that, but people are getting close to that kind of technology. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised in a couple years if all of our inhibitor work is for naught <laughs> <laughs> and siRNA has taken over. So uh, siRNA, what does that stand for? Do you remember? Uh, I think it's silencing RNA. Okay, uh, and. That is just, yeah, we went over it earlier yeah. about RNA inhibiting um, translation. Um, so what do you think, like, you've been working on this for four years now. Mm-hmm. What have, what is the progress that you've seen over your four years? Uh, yeah. Is it a lot of progress, or is, are you more or less in the same place? Uh well, okay, we're definitely not in the same place. Uh, obviously, I want to see more progress. That's mm-hmm. why I keep going at it. Um, yeah, yeah, the whole idea that uh, heme is dynamically bound is new, um, especially to this enzyme. So that's progress. Uh, the whole hydrogen sulfide activating it is slightly surprising, um, and that opens up a whole new uh, possibility for it acting with other heme enzymes as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we're learning about this enzyme in particular is probably relevant to a lot of other enzymes so it's um it, it's perhaps useful in the clinic but it's also an interesting way to probably study many other enzymes at the same time okay um so this i guess there okay why are there so many are there other enzymes that use tryptophan in this same manner uh, or is it just idea one th- yeah no a lot of enzymes use tryptophan um, to affect the immune system maybe not to affect the immune system particularly what is what is special about idea one that affects the immune system uh well or is it not is is okay so idea one is just one factor that affects the immune system response certainly there's yeah. so many other factors 
but what is so special about this particular enzyme that like affects the immune system? I, well, we would like to know that. We don't, we don't oh, know we don't what know that, that is. Okay. Uh, we just know that the body uses it, uh, okay. and tumor cells certainly use it. So that's, that's why it came to most scientists. And tumor attention. cells use it to kind of protect themselves. That's what we, th- we think it's doing, absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, so we, we, we need to find out what else. So do tumor cells, is there an increased amount of idea one in tumor cells? Yeah, usual. sometimes uh, it can be up to 10,000% higher than normal Oh, wow, levels, that's a lot. So. Okay, so, yeah, that's, that's weird how, I don't know, that I just find that that's, it's weird how these tumor cells are in a way, like, getting smarter. I don't know, have they always had, like, are they, I don't know, they've, I guess they've always had this characteristic of having more idea one in it um which begs the question like what is why is there more like what is producing more idea one in tumor cells yeah so it's um it's probably explained best by uh just evolution so most of the most tumor cells in your body are are normally killed by our immune system uh it's it's only the very adapted ones that survive and cause problems Mm -hmm. um so it's only those special cells that had mutations um that give them these extra abilities uh to keep dividing and to avoid the immune system and to steal more nutrients all of these things have to go wrong in a sense and most of those are mutations in the dna so that's so it is hereditary uh if they're in the dna it it can it can be hereditary, but there are also ways to mutate your DNA. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Just sitting, right. yeah. If you take yeah. Not, uh, yeah, benzene or something right. that, that damages your DNA, you can cause mutations. So you have trillions of cells, and occasionally one will have just the right mutation that allows it to uh, express IDO one at much higher levels, and and that's the cell that's going to cause trouble. Okay. Well, you you're talking about these tumor cells being so evasive to the immune system because of evolution so doesn't that means it's being like it's her, something hereditary in it right it, it doesn't have to be hereditary no because your your mutations happen all the time um we have to we have to repair our dna constantly mm-hmm. um and every once in a while that repair process doesn't go right and you get a mutation even in a cell that didn't come from your parents so yeah just any cell in your liver right now is repairing its DNA and there's a chance it goes wrong and if enough of those things go wrong in just the right way you get a tumor cell okay so and yeah it just so happens that most successful tumor cells had randomly these mutations mm. that allowed IDO1 to uh, become highly expressed okay okay that makes sense um so how I want to get more practical how do you um do most of your research work with idea one like are you like do you get like a solution that is heavily concentrated with idea one and just like mess with it and if so like what does that look like just from like a practical lab standpoint yeah so i'm very lucky most enzymes are colorless um and when you see a solution of it it's really boring because you wouldn't know that from a vial of water uh, but heme enzymes are especially nice because they're so colorful. So um, you're exactly right. I purified this enzyme. We, we have bacteria make it for us, um, which is really, really 
handy now. And we get it in such high concentrations that it, it actually looks like a vial of blood <laughs> when we were uh, testing this particular enzyme. And then a lot of the experiments we do actually takes advantage of that same uh, quality, its ability to absorb light. Mm, okay. um, so and it gives a very so you use a spectrophotometer. Exactly. Yeah, it gives a very distinctive spectrum, and even slight changes in that spectrum tell us uh, what the chemistry is doing. Mm, um, yeah. And so we can get uh, quite a bit of detail just looking at uh, what happens to the spectrum when we mix it with certain compounds. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in my lab in particular, we have something called the stop flow uh, spectrometer. And it's, uh, it's a device that mixes two solutions and it can track the spectrum um, over millisecond time scales. So you get like near instantaneous readouts. And so you can capture these oh, as, very Oh, as fast. time goes on? Yeah. OK, that's uh, cool. Yeah. So uh, enzymes are they're known to be fast. That's what yeah. their job is. <laughs> so uh, if we can um, look at them very, very under very short time scales, we can typically see uh, uh, how they're reacting. Okay. So and that's what I do. Okay. Yeah. For, so for those of you who don't know, a, spe a spectrophotometer is basically a machine that shoots light through a test tube or a vial or whatever we're testing, and it tells us how much light is being absorbed or how much light is getting through, right? And from that, we can um, analyze the data to come to a conclusion. Oh, if it, I don't know, if we have more hemoglobin or we have more of these heme enzymes, then it's going to absorb more light because it's darker. It's like it absorbs more light. So yes, the yeah. absorbance would be higher than right. a clear vial, which light would easily pass through and wouldn't absorb as much. Yeah, our, our eyes are very good spectrometers. And so when you see your blood go from red to blue, you're, you're seeing a, a slight chemical change, which is oxygen binding uh, to the heme or not. Um, unfortunately, with a spectrometer, you can see even uh, much less dramatic changes, like you were saying. But uh, yeah, really, it's just looking at color changes. Yeah. Um, so how, so you have this bacteria that actually makes this um, mm, yeah. enzyme. So has that been explored as an option to, I don't know, adding oh, I, more? Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Uh, enzymes to our body. It is. It's. It's a. Uh, it was a revolution in um, studying enzymes when we were able to make bacteria make them for us. Uh, indeed, they're making the human version for us. Uh, so that's that's a, a minor miracle of genetic engineering that's now commonly used. Uh, to take IDO one itself as uh, the purified protein and deliver it to tissue. Uh, will be difficult in a number of ways. Uh, one, um, if it's not inside of a cell, it's likely to be chewed up by what are called proteases, things that break down mm -hmm. proteins. Um, so if you want to think of it, IDO1 typically lives inside of a cell. Okay. So it's not going to survive very well outside of a cell. Uh, okay. And so if you have to get it there, um, it's likely not to survive. There are possible ways of delivering it. Um, it's certainly not my expertise, but people actually do uh, deliver uh, specific proteins to cells with uh, lipid droplets. So it's like a mini miniature cell, and then it can fuse uh, with the cell membrane of the cell that you want to deliver it to. It's like a vesicle. Yeah. Okay. Um, that That's certainly an option. I think a lot of drug companies would love to uh, 
have that ability. So, um, yeah, you seem to know where the where the money is with all of your questions. <laughs> uh, so these these um, these cells that do contain idea one, is there a way to um, from the outside of the cell differentiate which cells do have idea one? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so, so we could maybe target those specific cells. Yeah, if you, even if you could see it, uh, the the targeting will be, will be difficult. But as a matter for studying where this enzyme comes from, it's absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually to do that, you do genetic engineering and you attach a fluorescent protein to I, to ID1. Okay, yeah. Any any protein you want to track in a cell, you can. Um, attach a fluorescent tag to it just okay. by changing its gene mm -hmm. uh, to express both together. Mm -hmm. um, and then all you have to do is look at a microscope and shine a light and look for your glowing protein. And mm -hmm. you can actually, uh, they're beautiful images. You can see uh, even where, where inside of a cell your enzyme is going. So they can be highly localized to the nucleus or um, mine is actually pretty diffuse. It goes out throughout the cytoplasm. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then even then you can see which cells inside of a tumor are, are expressing it. It's, it's interesting because uh, it's the ones on the very outside. So uh, those are the ones that are encountering the, the mm. immune response, and mm. they're the ones who are turned on, uh, which is uh, it, it's good for the tumor, bad for us, but the ones on the inside of the tumor aren't burning through their tryptophan resources mm -hmm. because it's an essential amino acid. Obviously, they don't want to get rid of all of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, tumors are actually remarkably sophisticated in this uh, immune evasion. Okay, so are there any other aspects of tumors that um, are like they have developed a way to protect themselves from the immune system other than just idea one? Uh, almost certainly, yeah. I, I don't know um, the details of them, but uh, there are uh, <clears throat> there are, there are other amino acids that are essential that can actually uh, go through that same process. Arginine is one of them. Um, and uh, actually just close packing of the cells themselves can prevent your immune cells from sneaking in between them, mm, which okay. they have to to uh, kill the cells on the inside of the tumor. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not an expert on that, but they're very tricky. Yeah, so. okay, so you talk about idea one, kind of like, it's like this this shell, this shield around the tumor. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, like, the immune system uses, like, white blood cells, right, as oh. their fighters. So what if we just bypass that outer layer and go, like, right in the middle of the tumor and inject white blood cells? Would that be an option? Uh, I, think, I think it is uh, what people are doing. Um, there, I think I had mentioned before, there are people who are uh, developing... Um, T cells. They take T cells, white blood cells, mm -hmm. out of uh, a particular patient with a tumor, and okay. they actually uh, reprogram them to target that whatever cancer they have. Mm -hmm. So it's their own T cells. So you yeah. don't have to worry about rejection or right, anything. Right. And uh, they actually will specifically deliver those uh, newly reprogrammed T cells into the tumor itself. Okay. Um, so exactly, you're you're right. They have to get right into the middle. Um, okay. There are other tumors though that aren't. Uh, other cancers, sorry, that aren't necessarily tumorous. Mm. Uh, so a lot of blood cancers are just single cells that are going around the body. So uh, 
that method may not work. Yeah, yeah. But it's certainly a strategy that would work for some. Okay. And this this idea one I wanna what um what is it how what is it made out of? You know, let's get to the nitty gritty. What do you know, like what are the main characteristics of polar, nonpolar, what oh, what sure. is what are the amino acids that it's made out of? Um, is it a big enzyme? Is it yeah. small? As enzymes go, it's uh, middle of the road. Okay. Um, it's remarkably similar to myoglobin, um, another heme-binding enzyme, which uh, may not be surprising because it's thought to probably have evolved from uh, an ancestor that had a similar function as myoglobin. Mm-hmm. Um, indeed, there are animals that have IDO1 that are thought to actually be oxygen carriers and mm-hmm. reserves, so you can actually see maybe where these originated. Um, so yeah, it's a small globular protein, um, 50 kilodaltons for those who <laughs> care about the, um, the size. So, uh, yeah, it's there. That's still incredibly small compared to the cell itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, it, it isn't, um, it isn't super polar, but it's not greasy either. Okay. So it doesn't get stuck in your membrane where okay. all the fats are, uh, which is really nice. Um, a lot of proteins that are greasy or are membrane bound are incredibly hard to study because you can't purify them very easily. Mm, okay. So I'm very lucky that mine is uh, totally happy growing <laughs> bacteria and being purified in, in our buffer, mm-hmm. in our water. So um, I'm very lucky <laughs> with the enzyme I chose. So. All right, so let's zoom way out from looking at this one. And let's zoom way out to just humans. So like what... How is it? What? Uh, how is the life of a researcher? You know, like, are you like in the lab twenty four seven? Like, what does that look like? Do you enjoy it, or is it, is it monotonous sometimes? Do you get frustrated with results that you don't really want? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I can start the day with a great idea. And then what I think is a great idea, and it turns out it's a complete failure, and that's more often the case than not. Um, so I, I try to uh, make sure I'm doing something that I have to keep doing throughout the day, otherwise I'd probably just go home after each miserable failure. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of things with enzymes that you think you know exactly how they're going to behave, and then they don't do anything like that. Mm. So it's, it's a lot of uh, going into lab testing and um, trying to come up with new ideas, hopefully based around that. But more often than not, it's just a failure and you have to move on. So is there, do you get discouraged a lot? Or have you you learned to like cope with that? You know, like, I don't know, like, I just want to understand what you go through as, I don't know, these past four years, you know, Uh not just the science part, but just like the life part you know yeah uh the well people in the lab make a big difference and they're wonderful here um so that helps a lot and i'm actually working with quite a few people on this same project so we're we're able to bounce ideas off each other um that certainly helps and uh yeah the the moments where uh you find something's working and you can tell that this might turn into a publication they're enough to keep you going mm-hmm. <laughs> for, to go through the things that don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as, as I have uh, like a story 
that's building towards a paper mm-hmm. and I can see where it's headed, uh, that then I don't mind um, okay. when things don't work. Yeah. Do you have any publications? Yeah. So we, uh, we published the story about the heme mimic and we published a story about uh, the activation. So it's really the two-story deactivation and activation. Mm-hmm. And we're just now trying to get out um, a couple others that are just going to slightly more detail um, okay. on that. Um, so um, have you, in the, when you first started this research, were you a lot more, I guess, passionate about it and it's kind of burnt out over the years because it's been what four years now right uh-huh. that's like a, quite a while to yeah to be working on this one thing i'm sure it can get frustrating over as time goes on or maybe even yeah i don't know it's sometimes disengaging to be working on the same thing and like not getting the results that you want so like how i guess the main question is how is your mindset now compared to your mindset four years ago when you first started? Uh, that's that's interesting. I, I think it's kind of the same. Maybe that's a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I should probably have that looked at. But they, uh, the projects that I started with um, actually weren't this enzyme. This was a side project. Okay. Um, and so th- I think that's true for a lot of people, um, especially in biochemistry is you you start off with a whole bunch of things and then you obviously end up with the thing that works mm-hmm. uh so yeah this was a side project and then it took off with that heme mimic story mm-hmm. and then um i'm trying to find uh new areas of research because uh, i'm trying to apply for uh, positions myself so you have to have something independent mm-hmm. and um uh, the story that came out of this enzyme with uh the hydrogen sulfide activation um, has has sort of opened up new possibilities that I'm studying now. So even though, it, yes, it is this enzyme, but it's also uh, a story that could be more general. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, uh, it's you can keep going <laughs> based on that. Yeah. So it's, it's opened up new ideas. Um, and yeah, our ideas on this enzyme itself have changed over the four years. So it's not the same problem. We don't mm-hmm. go in every day doing the exact same thing. Okay. Luckily, okay. yeah. It's always hopefully a little different <laughs> do you ever get tired of the lab all the time <laughs> yes uh but it's uh it can all it's, it's almost like meditative if you get something working um i actually appreciate it if it takes a little bit of time and a little bit of repetition as long as i know the results that are uh being produced are going to be useful for something later uh it, it's actually kind of relaxing mm. So it's uh, maybe maybe that's how I keep going. <laughs> I'm not sure. So. so, as more you're you're a postdoc at Princeton. So like, what do you have specific, um, I guess, goals that you have to reach in like do you have deadlines for things or like how does that work? Oh yeah, um, it's bizarre because I. Uh, I'm not a grad student, so there yeah. are no classes. I'm not teaching anything. Right. Um, when I first started, I was sort of interacting with our pharmaceutical company partners, but that's uh, that's now over. So it really is just me sort of floating around uh, pretty much on my own all day. Okay. Uh, 
So you have to be pretty self-directed, I guess, in that way. Do um, you want to teach later on? Teaching, uh, I, I had a little bit of experience that, of that as a grad student, and it was uh, okay. <laughs> what yeah. did you teach? Uh, or were you like a TA? It was a, it was a TA. Okay. Um, but it was for uh, quite a few classes, but one of them was a biochemistry class that okay. I had to sort of. Was it a lab or actual like class class? It was a lab that I had to come up with the curriculum for. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's very time consuming. Mm -hmm. um, and generally, I, I don't think it's true that the best scientists are the best teachers. No, I, so, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a weird thing that they're always combined. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I should probably... I'm not saying I'm the best scientist, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying even if I were very good at science, I, I would still probably have to work very hard at becoming a better teacher so that's something I should probably focus on but is that something you want to focus on is teaching or is it more you kind of want to keep on this research trail uh yeah I definitely want to stay focused on on research and that's I think that's typical for most people who are trying to become professors at research in institutions but I always love having a captive audience <laughs> so it's nice um in that sense it's just coming up with the PowerPoints that are worth thousands of dollars of people's tuition and hours of their time that is a little bit daunting. So I'd want to I'd wanna, uh, focus on the quality there. Okay. so More than I have time for now, but yeah. Okay. But eventually, maybe a professor at a research university where you could also teach. Yeah, research. I think it's expected. So okay. uh, it's is certainly it? going to be part of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So um, do you... How time-consuming is this research? Like, is it all day, every day, or, like, do uh, you get breaks? Or, like, is it, like, from 9 to 9 at night? Or, like, what is it looking like? Yeah, as long as things are working, um, it could go either either way. You could be happy that it's working and go home or be happy that there are results and try to get more of them. Um, and in the last couple of years, I've focus more on going home <laughs> than I than I used to yeah you, a lot of people here do work nine to nine it's crazy. Or, or more yeah it, the whole thing is you have to get publications uh -huh. so um, that's the only way that outside observers can tell uh, what you've done right right how your quality of work is so at a university such as Princeton a private university do you guys how do you get funding yeah, uh, I'm not sure myself. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, I just sort of let the money and supplies flow to me. Because I do but. know for some researchers, they have to apply to these various um, grants and endowments, and like they have to put their, like, show their work, like, this is what we're working on. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to fund us? And it can be a stressful thing every couple of years. I think usually they're like, three or to five year um, grants. Um, and if you don't get accepted, like that's your whole, that's everything, you know, that's yeah. your lab money, that's your income. And I mean, if you don't get those grants, then you're kind of not in a great place. So oh, yeah. I was just wondering if you have any um, experience with that or Princeton more or less kind of just takes care of that for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the guy who I work for at okay. Princeton. He's uh, Jay Groves, John Groves. He's uh, he's very well known in his field. So he... I guess that brings up the the main. I guess the main point I was trying to ask was how much 
writing do you have to do uh, for your lab results? Su surprise, well, I would like to do more because <laughs> that means that things are working. Okay. Um, but uh, not, not too much. I have applied for grants. They've been, uh, one has been successful, but four have not been. So you just have to, um, I guess, get used to failure in that regard. Uh, but the guy I work for is the one who brings in the money. Mm -hmm. So he, he's the one doing all these grant applications for okay. the most part. Okay. So as a postdoc, um, some, most postdocs, uh, I think, actually are expected to find their own funding. Um, I landed this position uh, through sheer luck, uh, <laughs> where that's not so much of a concern. Um, but yeah, when I start my own lab, uh, that's the key for any new professor in, in biochemistry is get funding. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have that, they might keep you on. But... Uh, so I guess I should gear up for that stressfulness. <laughs> so what is the culture like here at Princeton? Is, uh, it, is it like everyone is like stressed out about like their work or is it more leisure? Like what are yeah. the vibes here at Princeton? So it's very specific to the lab. Okay. Um, if you work for somebody who doesn't yet have tenure, you've got to expect a pretty stressful environment because they they have to like you said get funding they yeah. have to get publications screw themselves uh i work for a guy who is he has tenure he's been the department chair um so he's perfectly safe obviously he wants to do good science mm -hmm. yeah. but there's not really any worry here that uh his reputation is going to be damaged so he's actually very lax um but uh we have weekly meetings and generally if you have something interesting to say uh he's happy <laughs> yeah <laughs> so as long as you can generate something pretty to put on a powerpoint every okay. friday you're good okay um so i guess how what was i gonna ask um oh with the culture here is that uh, i guess i don't know um because i feel like it a lot of these Ivy League institutions, it can be very stressful environment because I guess, every, I don't know, more, maybe a competitive environment, um, so to say. Um, well, uh, that, that may be true more for the undergrads. Mm -hmm. And we certainly have a couple uh, really talented undergrads who, who do work in the lab. Um, but that's a world that I don't see too much of. So, um, but those that I have worked with are, are actually quite laid back. Um, so I would say maybe the opposite of that from my limited experience yeah, yeah. is, is the case here. Do you, do you like it here? Have you enjoyed your time here? Uh, yeah, it's been, um, really nice to be, uh, studying, um, sort of the interface of chemistry and biochemistry in the particular lab I'm in. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's definitely different than what I was doing in grad school, where it was all enzymes all the time. Mm -hmm. Now I spend half my time in group meetings listening to people do organic synthesis. So I almost feel like a grown-up chemist now. <laughs> um, I'm not. I couldn't do what they, they do. But, uh, yeah, it's a nice blending of things. Um, a new experience here. So, yeah. Uh, well... Thank you for talking to me about idea one and just Good memory. <laughs> um, just really, I guess, delving into why it's important and tryptophan and all just generally the culture at Princeton. Um, I enjoyed it.
we'd have to, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, I'll have um, to give you updates when we yeah, <laughs> find out how it actually whenever, works. Yeah, you make come through a, a major breakthrough or something, you have to Absolutely. keep me updated. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, but yeah, thank you. Um, and thanks for the tour. It's like actually like really a beautiful campus, you know? Yeah, that's it. that is one thing good going <laughs> for this place. If yeah. nothing else, we have good landscaping. Yeah, so. and the architecture is beautiful, yeah. um, especially for the older buildings. Um, I don't know, I got some like harry potter vibes in some areas they're definitely going for that yeah yeah it's yeah. pretty um but anyway um thank you for doing this of um, course and we'll have to do this again sounds good thanks All right.